Welcome to Sports Rivals with Monty and Ernie, lively, entertaining banter on sports topics you want to hear. We are the sports rivals for Ernie. I'm Monty, and together we've got another great show set for you. Golf Ernie, some baseball talk, mm-hmm. some NBA talk, and then we're going to do something fun. You guys all know that Ernie is a huge Steeler fan, and I'm a huge Ram fan, and I'm a fan of lists, especially when there's no real action happening. And so today, Ernie's going to break down his top 10 Steelers of all time, and I'm going to hit you with the top 10 Rams of all time. So I'm curious to see those of you there that are out there, if you agree with one of us. But Ernie, let's start with the Open mm-hmm. at St. Andrews, the 150th anniversary there. A lot of hype surround, surrounding Tiger. He right. put so much into wanting to be there and be a part of this and to do well. It just didn't happen. No, not not at all. I mean, to have a to have an opening round like he did. I mean, like I said uh, in in uh, last week's podcast, you can't win on the first day of a major, but you can definitely lose, and that's basically what he did. He put himself way out of contention. Uh, I think he came in on the bottom ten as far as you know the field is concerned as as his opening round really didn't follow up well with his on on day two and therefore missed the cut of the major and a little disappointing on that side it seemed however that all the tiger woods fans kind of jumped on the rory mcelroy bandwagon uh being that this was held at uh, saint andrews the hometown where golf was basically invented and the hometown of Rory McEl- uh, McElroy, but didn't pull it off. He had a four stroke lead with, uh, you know, with Ho- Hovland, but, uh, second round leader Cameron Smith comes in like gangbusters six under in the second half of the final round and basically takes, uh, the the open championship at that point uh rory mcelroy has a chance to actually come back but only able to scramble out pars basically on the his back nine and you know a little disappointing from that aspect well again gang i'm not a huge golf fan i'm a conveniently big golf fan and that convenience is totally associated (laughs) with one tiger woods so once i saw his first round and again ernie and i we record this we live in hawaii so by the time we wake up and really start to check out what's going on some of these rounds were almost done already Uh, Mm -hmm. you know so it was very early in the morning on thursday where i quickly realized that tiger woods was not going to be there uh over the weekend but you know what I said this last week, if he's not going to be competitive, I prefer for him to not have to play the four days to save his body. And the fact that he was so far out, you got this sense on Friday that it was almost, for a lack of better word, funeral-like, like a coronation that this, we may never see Tiger again. Certainly, we may not see Tiger again at St. Andrews, um, but you really got that. And the fans let him know that oh, his yes. ovation yeah, uh, as he came down yeah. was just huge as people anticipate that this might be the end of Tiger, at least at St. Andrews. I'm not sure Tiger's ready to say it's the end of Tiger, but we talked about this last week. You cannot just show up at a major and expect to do well it's it's virtually impossible so uh congratulations for tiger to for doing everything in your power to make it work the other thing was rory i thought was going to win rory is the most vocal live opponent and uh, he was very clear early in the week that he wanted a non-live member to win the open uh, and he looked like he was going to take care of it on his own but it didn't happen. I mean, it Cameron didn't. Smith comes through 20 under par to win the Open. Yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible. Really vaulted him in the FedEx standings. 
I believe he's top 10 now. And that's basically the last thing to play for in this golf season. I mean, it doesn't seem like golf is split into seasons because right after the season, the, the next season starts off right immediately. But, you know, in today's day and age, that's, that's, that's how it is. So the final leg of the majors, the next big tournament is the FedEx Cup. And then we, we start all over again. Congratulations to Cameron Smith. Rory, uh, very disappointing in regards to his, 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 and he, he, he laid it on the line. He, he said he didn't play bad golf. He just didn't do anything to, to basically yeah. to, to, win. to win, to win. win. And he comes, uh, he comes two strokes shot short of winning his fifth career major. Yeah. But that ends the major season as Ernie talked about. And now we'll see what it goes from here. Now it's just a matter of the riveting discussion between PGA and live. It's almost like UFC type mentality. And if, I was telling Ernie that the big news this week out of the live tour is their efforts to somehow incorporate one Charles Barkley into the live tour as some form of announcer. And when asked about it early in the week, Charles Barkley said, hell yeah, I'm going to meet with them. <laughs> I'm going to meet with them. Why wouldn't I meet with them? I'm going to meet with them. You know what? That's just from the entertainment standpoint, all that is brilliance, in my opinion. That yeah. is, that is brilliance. Yeah, I mean, yeah. certainly he, he will get attention as he always does. So Ernie, let's transition into the NBA. Mm -hmm. Still on Kyrie watch, still on Kevin Durant watch. It's becoming, seems to be more likely that they may stay in that's Brooklyn I, or there may be some posturing that's going on. I think from the Brooklyn Nets perspective, they're very disappointed in what has been offered to them for Kevin Durant. Mm -hmm. um, and then with the Kyrie situation, they the Lakers kind of pulled back. I mean, the Nets right. were insistent that they wanted Westbrook plus the two number ones. The Lakers said, we'll give you one. We're not giving you two. And that seemed to die down. At the bottom line is they're not going to trade Kyrie if they're keeping Kevin Durant. It would make no sense to do so. Right. So I think at this point that may happen. The only news this week or any was DeAndre Ayton almost going to the Indiana Pacers. Right. So I think the question is. Given the circumstances, he signs a four-year, $133 million max contract with the Pacers, giving the, the Phoenix Suns the right to match, which mm -hmm. they did almost immediately. The question is, was that a good move by the Phoenix Suns to match this? They didn't want him at the max amount, but could they afford to lose him for nothing? Yeah, and, that, and, and that's the thing. I don't think they were able to afford to lose him for, for nothing. I think they... They had really nothing to lose because they had, uh, you know, he is a restricted free agent, uh, and talks kind of dwindled, uh, towards the, uh, you know, the start of free agency. I mean, with no really actually no talks, uh, in regards to renegotiating the contract, uh, Aiton actually was uh, very disappointed and disgruntled, you know, as it, uh, wore on. So I, I think. This was basically like, I'll use the word that you said. I think this was just posturing on the Phoenix Suns management side. They knew what they were going to do all along. And, uh, it came to push and shove. Once they did the max offer, you know, they had the, the rights to match it, which I think was going to be, uh, their fail safe effort in order for him not, who knows, but like you said, yeah. he's, he's, he's there for at least a year. He may be gone next, next season. Yeah. Because I think, I do think Phoenix wanted to package him in some kind of a deal for Kevin Durant or for other assets. I, I really think they wanted to do that. I also think Phoenix did not expect him to get somebody to give him a max contract. Right. Um, but Indiana did, which probably doesn't make Phoenix very happy with Indiana at this point in time. But when faced with the decision of letting the number one pick in the draft four years ago, the guy that you took ahead of Luka Doncic and Trey Young and some others, go for nothing that's too much for phoenix to bite off so they had no choice but to max them out and match them but now you have him at 30 million you have booker at almost 50 million and you have uh, cp3 at over 30 million they're almost in the same boat as the lakers with lebron ad and westbrook mm -hmm. at this point in time right. so how do they circumvent this and fill out the rest of their roster which was let's not forget by and far and away the number one seed 
in all of the NBA this year, they seem, or at least the perception is, they've taken a step back. Now they're stuck with DeAndre Ayton for at least a year. They're unable to trade him for one year. Um, curious to see how that all meshes. Yeah. You know, can they put let bygones be bygones, business is business, and they all come back together? We're going to see. Yeah, and that's going to be, in my opinion, that's going to be totally on DeAndre. You know, I think management, it's management's wish that bygones be bygones. You know, they're playing, they're doing a business decision, but sometimes those business decisions don't sit well with players. So we'll see how Aiton takes this. He certainly didn't like it in the beginning when they were, uh, again, using your word, posturing as far as a contract is concerned. But now that it's all said and done, let's see if he can just play basketball to the, his, the best of his ability and let's, See if the Phoenix Suns can, you know, be a contender again in the West. So let's transition to the NBA Summer League. So the only Summer League, well, I was watching some of the Summer League and I'm going to make some comments on, on some of the big draft picks from this year. But from the Laker perspective, there is nothing there for the Lakers. <laughs> I mean, they had Scottie Pippen Jr. there. O'Neal. That may make a team. They had Sharif, Sharif who O'Neal. hardly played. Yeah. They only did that to, to be friends with, with, uh, with Shaq. Yeah. Um, Strider, the shooter from Sac, uh, from the Syracuse was probably their most impressive player. I don't think he's going to make the team. The only summer league game associated with the Lakers that I was interested in all week long was LeBron James playing in the Drew League yesterday <laughs> uh, with DeMar DeRozan. <laughs> LeBron goes for 42 points and 16 rebounds in that league. A league, by the way, that Kyrie was supposed to show up and play. And in total Kyrie fashion... He was a no-show. He did not show up for his game, and that Uncle was it. Uncle Drew, come on. In Uncle the Drew. Drew. In the, I know. Uncle Drew in the Drew League, he doesn't show up. But Ernie, like I said, for my Lakers, there was not a whole lot there that I think would be a difference maker. I hope that a Pippen can develop over time. But how about your Celtics? Did no, you I, see anything that you were happy with yeah, or I mean, excited I, about? I, I, I was definitely happy. I, Celtics had – I mean, the Celtics haven't had a – a first round pick in like three years now. So, I mean, there's really not much that I'm salivating over, but I was quite surprised in regards to their second round pick, JD Davidson, as far the point guard out of Alabama. Uh, going into this season, I, I really thought, let's just say this. I thought he was really raw based upon, uh, some of the reviews that I was reading. Some of the YouTube videos that I was watching as far as the comment, the guy is a little further along than, than I thought. I, I thought from a defensive standpoint, he was above par, his court vision above par. Uh, he still has a ways to go in regards to finishing at the basket. But when that guy gets hot, he gets hot. I mean, he had a game where he, you know, he, he almost had a triple double. Uh, very happy with him. I'm also very happy with uh, a center that they picked that they uh picked up Trevion? no not not the purdue guy i was expecting i was having really high hopes for for travion williams out of purdue his passing was a little wasn't up to par as far as what i saw in the videos you know coming out of purdue his passing is okay you know, nothing, nothing very eye opening, but I'm referring to, uh, this guy, and I hope I'm not mispronouncing his name. I'm pretty sure I am. Mifondu Kabangeli. Oh, yeah. From Florida State. Yeah. From Florida State. He, he was actually a first round draft pick in 2019, found his way into the G League and, and now into the Boston Celtics. I believe the Clippers drafted him right back in 2019. Right, right. In 2019, first round, I, I can't remember. I think, I believe like the 18th pick or something like that. But anyways, he was surprisingly. He's very athletic. Very athletic. Not as bullish as I thought he would be because the guy is pretty built. I thought he'd really be a, a space eater. I think that's a part of his game that maybe the Clippers were disappointed in. I could see them being disappointed in because he got pushed around a little bit, even though his body was big. But he is a high flyer, uh, pretty good passing skills. He is a three outside perimeter shooter. If he can just fix the inside, which I believe that that could be taught, 
I think we got a good one on there. So I don't know a whole lot about Kamangeli. I mean, I, I mean, I followed him at Florida State. He was part of the Florida State team that knocked Gonzaga out with Rui guys back when, mm. before he got drafted. So I am familiar with him at that level. I expected him because he's so athletic. He was very athletic there, protected the rim really well in terms of blocking shots at that time. Um, but he faded away for some reason with the Clippers. Davidson is, is interesting because we talked about this uh, a couple of weeks ago after the draft. Davidson was supposed to be the coming into the college season this year, his freshman year, coming off of high school, he was the eighth rated NBA prospect mm-hmm. before the season started. So when that happens, you know that they have all the athletic skills to be rated that high. For some reason, it just didn't play out the way that he expected it. Alabama had another great season. They had a couple of other good guards. So he was coming off the bench in college and maybe that played into uh, his situation, but he certainly has athletic ability. And we were talking off the air. You're saying that there may be a glut now at the guard position that Peyton Pritchard could be in trouble. Right. And I think the difference between Pritchard and Davidson is that athletic yeah, ability. Yes, yes. You know, so one is, is a little bit more sound, a little bit more, um, polished and the other one is is a lot more raw and in today's nba where where you know you want to invest in the high end i can see that happening now i can yeah. see Payne pritchard being in real trouble if they can find someone to take them so if the celtics are interested russell westbrook for peyton pritchard <laughs> is on the table already <laughs> that would cost uh, the celtics an addition additional 150 million considering where they are in the luxury tax situation but who else excited you in 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 the summer league well i, I mean i think the obvious place to start is the number one pick paulo banchero he only played two games and right. he was shut down i thought he showed himself well he showed himself as an offensive player he averaged i think he averaged 26 and 6 so he rebounded he passed better than i expected mm-hmm. um but he plays with a tremendous amount of confidence so i thought he did well i get disappointed when you shut them down so quickly right again you're ingraining already in these new players load management which i don't necessarily understand um jabari smith had a up and down right and i, and I, I kind of expect that from him but let's talk a little bit about chet holmgren because mm-hmm. for some reason he creates the most discussion there are some people that are just like he's never going to be nothing he's going to be a bust he's too weak He's going to get pushed around, never going to be able to make it. And then there's the other half of the people that are like, his skills are freak-like. Right. He, he has the skills to be very, very effective. I know where I stand. Where do you stand on Chip? Well, I, I can see that. I mean, it, it really comes down to what are your expectations of Chet at this point of uh, in his career. I mean, I, I see him. I see him as this guy with a hell of a lot of potential who really can't body his way up, you know, as far as an inside game, but he has the defensive prowess to still be a rim protector, a good passer. He can bring the ball up the court. He can, he can, uh, you know, create spacing with his three point shoot. And that's what I saw. So the skill level is there, even though he doesn't gain a pound from now until he retires. He may be considered, a, I guess, a bust if you were to say that... Uh, You're expecting him to be a star? Yeah. I think right now, every being that he was the second player picked in the draft, people want instant gratification on top of that. You know? Yeah. And, and, and you can't look at Chet that way because he his body has to fill out. He has to, uh, I guess, get used to the, the pace of the NBA play. And we'll really see Chet's deficiencies come uh preseason and we'll see if that trend what i saw from chet was in my opinion positive the negative that i can see a lot of people because i know that this was out on twitter was when he went against memphis and they had this big body lofton jr oh he used but you know what kenny lofton would do that to 95% 95% of the NBA players. That's a big dude. 
That yeah. is a big dude. Yeah, that's a big dude. I mean, they were teammates on the on the uh, under uh, eight, on yeah. the under nineteen right. national team last year, of which Chet won the MVP for the tournament. I think Chet's going to be just fine. If your expectation is he's going to gain 40, 50 pounds and turn into Giannis, that's not going to happen. Right. Um, but he's a hard worker. He's skilled. I believe he'll do what it takes to gain some weight over time, but he'll have a presence and he'll make a difference because of his defensive prowess. He blocked four to five shots a game. Uh, he shot the NBA three better than I expected him to. And then he can create that Oklahoma City team. That was the one team that I tried to watch the most in the summer league because they were fun. I mean, they were, they were balling out. Josh Giddy was playing really well. Giddy you have Jalen Williams. You have the other Jalen Williams. Yeah, both. Uh, you have you have a lot of young talent there that um, if they can develop, if they have the the coaching staff there has the Golden State esque ability to develop that team could be in a really good place three to four years from now so i still believe chet holmgren is going to be fine do i expect him to win the rookie of the year this year probably not he's going to have a hard time with his slight frame making it 82 games right that's going to be a challenge for him at this point in time i think the most impressive player that i saw during the the um summer league and who i think will win the rookie of the year is keegan murray yeah from the sacramento kings he i sure mean is, he, he looked he looked he looked the part he is so efficient and he was always that way in college as well so he was he scored 23.6 points per game but his shooting percentage is high he's only taking 10 11 shots a game and getting 24 points yeah. he's very very efficient it remains to be seen what kind of a defensive player he can be, um, you know, when the regular season starts. But his body's ready. His mind is ready. His ability to create space, his ability to manipulate the defense is already far and away above anyone else, I believe, at the top of the draft. Yeah. No, um, he, I, I, he looks he looks to be really, really strong. Yeah. As, as far as the, the top tier draft choices are, are concerned, and it's unfortunate that that Ivy got hurt because yeah, he had a great start yeah. and then he tweaked his ankle and he was shut down. Yeah, but Keegan Murray was definitely yeah the cream of the crop in regards to you know what was put on display in Vegas, and I'm very interested to see what he can do in preseason. Again, this is this is summer league, folks. I mean, you're playing against uh, a lot of other rookies, second year players, mostly G League, and you know a handful of foreigners out there. So what goes on? There's really not much of oh, what we call defense, really organized defense when it comes to that kind of play. They only play 10 minute quarters and you saw a lot of some scores well into the hundred points, which that's not going to happen in, in the NBA. Uh, I remember last season when the Boston Celtics, who finished second in summer league, Peyton Pritchard averaged, I think 26 points a game and it, that really didn't transfer into the to into the at the NBA level. Although he was a very good shooter, uh, it really matters on how your play propels you into the scheme of your real the the real starters on the NBA team. But it's fun. It's fun to see the how these prospects are at least introduced. To the beginning parts of the NBA level. So I'm, I'm, I wasn't that high on, on Chet. I'm a little bit more high on him now that I, at least from the beginnings that I, I think now from where I had doubts on Chet that I think he can, not this year, two, three years from now, I think he can become a very darn good NBA player. Not now. But in the future. Yeah, he's going to have to work at it. It's not just getting stronger. It's getting fit. It's the ability to withstand the pounding of an NBA season. Even if you get pushed around a little, you can't be gasping for air like he was in the Salt Lake City games. He's got to get his conditioning a little bit better. Now, some second-year players, there weren't as many this year as there has been over the last few years because of COVID. But... Cam Thomas from the Brooklyn Nets, he was balling out. You know, he's a high ball. He's a microwave type player. Yeah, he is. Um, and then with Golden State, Moses Moody goes for 28 points a game. Kaminga goes for over 20 points a game. I tell you what, man, 
Golden State's going to be a handful this year. Yeah, if those guys continue to develop. How how do you th- how did you perceive Wiseman's performance? I, he was rusty. Yeah, you know he he's still rusty. I mean the guy really hasn't really played yet. We talked about this how his start of his career reminds me of Joel Embiid. He's not Joel Embiid, I, um, but it reminds me he really hasn't done anything for two years. He's going to have to get back. Uh, he you can see the athleticism. Mm-hmm. Uh, he looked like he got bigger, so he looks like he's physically getting stronger. But his shot was all over the place. Yeah. He looked he looked rusty at this point in time. He's he's going to be a work in progress. And this is year three for him. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Okay, so let's go ahead and get into the NFL talk. So, is there anything NFL related this week that you thought was interesting? Um, we're still on Deshaun Watson watch. The word was he was supposed to get his. Uh, his suspension this week that has not happened yet. Um, Baker, we talked about him last mm-hmm. week. You know, he's in Carolina now. Now it's just a matter of Lamar Jackson and that awkward situation. It looks like he'll just show up and play without a contract this mm-hmm. year, rolling the dice for himself. Um, but I don't have anything specifically as we get excited. So should we just jump into our top 10? Yeah, why, why, why don't we go? Why, why don't we just go for it? Well, why don't we start with you, Ernie, for two reasons. Okay. One, you're older than me, so we <laughs> defer to that. And two, I think, in all honesty, I think, generally speaking, the general public probably has more interest in the Steeler top 10 because they have a much more storied history, many more Hall of Famers than the Rams do. So I'm curious to hear your top 10 list. Okay. I mean, just, yeah, yeah. It, this this was difficult because I had to leave out. I had to leave out a lot of good players. I mean, I'm if I if I can just mention who was on the basically the cusp of my my top ten. I I left out a nine time Pro Bowler, six six time All Pro, recently inducted it into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Alan Fanica. So he's not on my top ten list. I had to leave out. Two-time Super Bowl champion, your former Los Angeles Rams running back, Jerome Bettis. The bus. The bus. The bus did not make the, the list. The bus did not make the list, even though I really thought he he should. I, I mean, that was tough because I'm, I'm a I'm a I'm a JB fan. Uh, another guy I had to leave out. I have his picture hanging on my wall right now. Is Mr. Hines Ward? You know, the receiver of all sorts. Uh, I had him in my top 10. And then looking at this list, I had to bump him back out of my top 10. Uh, I had to also leave out two icons from the 70s as far as wide receivers are concerned in Lynn Swan and John Stallworth. And to complete that wide receiver uh, connection, one Antonio Brown, who probably would be on this list if not for his antics over the last three seasons because he was definitely on a historic 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 uh trend until i don't know something hit his head during the cincinnati Bengal game and (laughs) gave him i i don't mean to uh, poke fun at it but man talking talk about falling off a cliff so those are guys who didn't make my list so i'm gonna start out with with number 10. And this is a running back who I put ahead of Jerome Bettis. I believe Jerome Bettis is actually a better running back than this particular player. But this particular player, my criteria is you play for the Steelers. How long have you played for the Steelers? How did you contribute? And are you a champion? So this running back went to nine Pro Bowls. He was actually rookie of the year when he came into the league out of Penn State. And he was a Super Bowl MVP. My number 10 player is Franco Harris. My number nine player uh, came out of Texas. He was also a defensive player. He was a defensive player of the year. Five Pro Bowls, two times all pro. This guy in his day and age was a monster at cornerback. When he played in the 70s, mo- I think most of the cornerbacks average 5'10", 5'11". This guy towered over all of them at 6'3". I'm talking about Mr. Mel Blunt, the cowboy cap. Uh, my number eight, 
player on top of this. Just recently announced his retirement. This is my number one quarterback. I chose him above Terry Bradshaw. I'm talking about Ben Roethlisberger. The guy through his entire year that he played did not have a losing season. He went to three Super Bowls, winning two of them, also garnering Super Bowl uh, MVP uh, uh, on one of them. Uh, my The player above him comes from a really non-outstanding Super Bowl uh, Pittsburgh Steelers team. He was just a participant in one of the decades in the 90s that the Steelers were, you know, not really that relevant as far as Super Bowl contention was concerned. But that doesn't uh, negate uh, all the accolades that was put onto him. Seven-time Pro Bowler, uh, seven-time All-Pro, the Dirt, Dermonte Dawson. Above him, I have to include... Uh, who I thought was one of the more exciting defensive players in the NFL during his, his tenure as a, as a Pittsburgh Steeler. Uh, four time all pro defensive player of the year, eight time pro bowler. A lot of people thought this guy was a bust. In fact, in his first year, they nicknamed him Bustamalu. I'm talking about Troy Polomalu. Above him, I, uh, goes down to the offensive line. I really, I followed the Steelers actually on their last Super Bowl in 1979. Well, actually 19, yeah, 79, 80 was the season. So I really didn't get to watch this guy play. I'm just going to go based upon all the historics and what I can pull off of the internet. Uh, this guy played center, was a part, was a main cog on that offensive line that, uh, you know, blocked for Franco Harris. Uh, protected Terry Bradshaw. I'm talking about Mike Webster. Uh, ahead of him on my number four position, one of the most unsung Steelers out there. All he did was do his job, go to six, be uh, chosen as six time All Pro, go to eight Pro Bowlers. This guy was quintessential in regards to uh, really not having the greatest athleticism. Uh, as far as a player was concerned, but he had the smarts. He was just all in, all in the right places. A very big cog in, you know, that steel curtain defense. Uh, his name was Jack Ham, and I have him as my number four. Uh, number three position, I have uh, Rod Woodson, seven time pro bowler, five times all pro. He did leave the Steelers for a brief uh, for a little while to join the Ravens. Uh, while there, he was moved to safety, became an all-pro safety there uh, and multi multiple pro bowler. But I'm only including his time with the Pittsburgh Steelers. As far as a Pittsburgh Steeler is concerned, you know, he won defensive player of the year. He was really changing out of, I mean, I, I remember this guy uh, out of Purdue when, when he came out. He was basically... Uh, a track and field guy. And I think he, coming off an Olympic year, I thought this guy was just overrated because there was one Ronaldo Nehemiah who was picked up by the San Francisco 49ers who really didn't pan out. So I was really afraid of this, uh, that the Steelers picked this guy when they got him. Boy, was I wrong. This guy was, you know, one of the greats up there. Rod Woodson, the, he is my number three guy on the list. My top two guys, I had to play around with this. I mean, one guy I really love, one guy I know the world respected because of his Coke commercials. Uh, I had to go down, to, I had to bow down to actually who the public actually wanted. But I'm talking about my number two guy is Jack Lambert. This guy was just my, the epitome for me growing up as far as what a linebacker not only should play like, but look, guy, this, I, this guy was 6'5". He was skinny. This guy was 6'5", 225. He was a skinny linebacker, but he looked mean. This guy, if anybody looked mean, it wasn't Joe Green. It was Jack Lambert. This guy was, was crazy good. The best linebacker, in my opinion, for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He falls one 
one uh, pick shy of my my number one greatest Steelers, but you know, in my heart, he's number one, which leaves me no doubt in most people's eyes. And and for my list, uh, I'll end with Joe Green as the greatest Steeler of all time. Ten Pro Bowls, four All Pros. Uh, at the time that he was defensive player of the year, the first two-time defensive player of the year. The biggest thing about this guy is he changed the culture. Prior to the Steelers' existence, before he came aboard, they had 40 years of basically being irrelevant, futile, basically futile. Once he came aboard, he changed the culture, became Mr. Steeler. And that's why I think everybody considers him the greatest Steeler of all time, because after that, now they're looking at trying to get number seven. So mean Joe Green, even though I don't think you're the meanest guy out there, I, that, I think that in my book that goes to Jack Lambert, you are number one on my all-time Steelers list. Well, you know, Ernie, that's a great list. And, and I'm sure there are people like, we were talking off the air. I was stunned that a Lynn Swan didn't show up on the top 10. Mm-hmm. But it's really hard to pick your list and see who you who would eliminate, yes. you know, eliminate. from that list. And that, and that's the challenge. You know, Rod Woodson to me, it's he and Dion, the two greatest cornerbacks of all time. And he had longevity and switched positions, but that's a stud. And then again, historical Steeler teams, Mean Joe Green, Jack Lambert, Franco Harris, Mike Webster, Mel Blunt, all part of those teams. And, and as, as it should be, they dominate your top 10. Yeah. So I really don't have any qualms. Now, I'm curious to see what you guys think about Ernie's list. So don't forget to, to go to social media, Sports Rivals Podcast on IG and Facebook, Sports Rivals um, Sports Rivals Podcast on IG and Facebook, Sports Rivals Pod on Twitter, and let us know what you think. My Rams list, there are some big names here, but mm-hmm. I don't have the depth and the width of people to choose from. And again, my criteria, and this is what's hard because from one to 10, from 10, 9, 8, 7, you have three of my favorite Rams of all time. But they didn't stay with the Rams or they weren't always with the Rams. So let's start with number 10. My favorite quarterback in NFL history, Kurt Warner. He comes with the greatest story of all time, how he tried for many, many years, was working in a supermarket, finally got his chance when Trent Green tore his ACL in preseason, led the Rams from zero expectations to the Super Bowl championship in his first year. Greatest show on turf. Greatest show on turf. Two-time MVP. Now, he was only with the Rams from 98 to 2003. He hurt his thumb in 2002. He only played six games in 2002 and didn't play in 2003. So he's really limited. He had three full seasons of which he won two MVPs and went to the Super Bowl both times winning one and then losing that shocking Super Bowl as 14-point favorites to Tom Brady and the Patriots. So he is there at number 10. At number nine, my favorite defensive player of my youth, Jack Youngblood. Jack Mm. Youngblood came after really other people that you're going to hear on my list a little bit later on and was a little bit overshadowed playing in the era of the Mean Joe Greens and the Harvey Martins and the LC Greenwoods and the Randy Whites because those teams were constantly in the Super Bowl. But Jack Youngblood made seven consecutive Pro Bowls in the 1970s, was a defensive player of the year in 1976 as well. He's number nine. Now, the next two are my two favorite players of all time. Kurt Warner is my favorite quarterback, but the next two picks, Marshall Falk at number eight, Eric Dickerson at number seven. Marshall Falk was a three-time offensive player of the year. As soon as he came to the Rams, even on the years that Kurt Warner won the MVP in 99 and 01, Marshall Falk won the offensive player of the year in both of those years and in the year in between. He was remarkable. I believe... I believe, and, and I'm not the only one, the most well-rounded running back in NFL history. He has a tremendous amount of rushing yards and rushing touchdowns, and he had numerous years of a 1,000 yards receiving as well. For me, still the greatest player I saw with my own eyes, his college performance at San Diego State against the University of Hawaii, where he ran for 350 yards and five touchdowns, is the single greatest athletic feat that I have witnessed with my own eyes. So Marshall Falk at eight. Eric Dickerson is at number seven. 
Eric Dickerson made a huge splash. He came in in the year he was drafted to by the Rams in the year of the quarterback. The, the draft that brought in Elway, Marino, mm. and Jim Kelly. Eric Dickerson was picked right after Elway and before all the other ones. He came in, rushed for 1,900 yards as a, as a rookie. rookie. Second year, 2,105 yards, a record that still stays today. The only disappointment is after four years, he demanded a trade, was traded to the Indianapolis Colts, but he did enough in my eyes in those four years to show up uh, on my top 10 list at number seven. Now, all of the top six are all lifetime Rams. Okay, so at number six, you have offensive tackle Jackie Slater. My entire youth, he seemed to play forever. Jackie Slater, number 78 on the left side of that line, was the left tackle for almost two decades. Um, he went into the Hall of Fame five years after he retired. I have him at number six. Right in front of him, Orlando Pace. Rams traded up in the draft to take Orlando Pace with the number one pick in the draft when he first came out, and he was a big part of the greatest show on turf. He played for 11 years, was a first ballot Hall of Famer when he, uh, when he, after he retired. Orlando Pace, I have at number five. Number four, Isaac Bruce. Took him a while to get inducted into the Hall of Fame, but by far the most decorated Rams receiver of all time. A lifetime Ram up until his last season where he went to the 49ers, which is very unfortunate for all of us. <laughs> um, but his stats were tremendous and he caught the big touchdown pass to help the Rams win the Super Bowl against the Tennessee Titans. I have Isaac Bruce at number four and then three defensive monsters at the top of the list. Merlin Olsen first. Now, Merlin Olsen is one that I can only speak about from, well, actually three and two. I can only speak about from what I've read, what I've seen, and what I've heard. Ernie knows firsthand how good these guys yeah, were. Yeah, Merlin Olsen was on Little House on the Prairie. <laughs> he had his own TV show Father after Murphy, that. Father Murphy, Father Murphy. <laughs> but Merlin Olsen I have at number three and Deacon Jones at number two. Deacon. Deacon Jones was a monster. He is largely considered the, the person that invented the, the term and the statistic sack. sack. And uh, Ernie was just sharing with me, you know, before we went on that, you know, if, he, if they actually recorded sacks in his day he would have had well over a hundred well sacks over. it was because of what he was doing that the term sack, sack yeah. came into play so That's when you're true. the player that creates a stat you have to be at the top of any team's list the only reason he's not number one is because the greatest nfl player in today's day and age and i believe if he can play another three to four years without retiring will go down I think he's already a top three defensive player of all time. If he stays healthy for three more years, I think Aaron Donald will go down as the greatest NFL defensive player in history. He's a three-time defensive player of the year. No one changes the game like Aaron Donald changes the game. He has been incredible. He was incredible when the Rams sucked. And now he's the one making the play at the end of the NFC Championship and the Super Bowl to win the title. So Aaron uh, Aaron Donald wins his title, a three-time defensive player of the year. We'll see how long he plays, but for the first eight years of his career, there is no one that can match what he's done. So Aaron Donald is number one for me. Kurt Warner, Jack Youngblood, Marshall Falk, Dickerson, Slater, Pace, Bruce, Olsen, Jones, and Donald. Where's Vince Ferragamo on that list? He was number 11. <laughs> he, Vince Ferragamo was 11 and Jared Goff was 12. <laughs> Followed by Dick Vermeil as, as the best coach. But again, it, it's the same thing. I mean, if we were to do this list five years from now, how much could my list change? No, that, I that, mean, a Cooper Cup, yeah. a Jalen Ramsey, you know, people that, that are now really taking shape yeah. with, with the Rams. This list could be really different five years from now where your list is pretty solid no i don't see i i think tj watt in two well, or three TJ, years yeah tj well, watt would be the only one yeah. maybe that that could uh that could bump somebody out from there if he can stay healthy so gang those are our lists again 
Sports Rivals Podcast on IG and Facebook, Sports Rivals Pod on Twitter. Tell us what you think. Are there, or is there situations where one of us is completely off? You Lin Swan fans, or maybe you Tory Holt fans, or other people, or better yet, what is your favorite team? Hit us with your top 10 and we'll comment and tell you what we think about what your top 10 is. Now, before we get out of here today, Ernie, for my closing thought, I'm going to transition to Major League Baseball. Okay. We're going to get ready for the Major League All-Star game on Tuesday. That's going to be played in Los Angeles with my Dodgers hosting the event. And there's one player from the, from the, uh, Anaheim Los Angeles Angels now, mm-hmm. one Shohei Otani that last year started at DH and started the All-Star game as a pitcher, and very well could have that happen again. What I want to comment about Shohei is is sometimes I think people, because he's a good hitter and because he's a good pitcher, I'm not sure the average sports fan truly grasps the unbelievable athleticism that this this guy is is showing. Mm -hmm. He's doing things that we have not seen since Babe Ruth. And so my thought is last year, Shohei won the MVP. You know, he had a tremendous year pitching, had a tremendous year hitting. He won the MVP. Oftentimes, once you win an MVP, then people try to find reasons to give the MVP to somebody else or to not give it to you. But Ernie, I'm going to make the case that if he continues at this pace, not even extraordinary offensive statistics or pitching statistics, but he's on pace this year for 35 home runs, 100 RBIs, 20 more stolen bases, hitting around 265, 270. And he's on track to win 18 games with a 2.2 ERA with striking out 13 people a game. A real argument can be made that he's going to be the MVP or should be the MVP every single year that he's playing healthy two side ball because you add up his pitching uh, war and you add up his hitting war. No one's going to come close. It is remarkable what Shohei Otani is doing in Major League Baseball right now. I, 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 I would agree. I mean, yeah, he's that dual threat. Like you said, go, it really hasn't happened since Babe Ruth. A lot of people don't remember Babe Ruth was an excellent pitcher back in, back in his day. So, so was, uh, Cy Young, uh, at the turn of the century. But Shohei for, you know, for, for us modern guys is, you know, that quintessential all, all around player. I, I, I mean, Let's, I mean, really, there's really no comparison. And he burst onto, burst onto the league. Uh, all of Japan is, if, if they weren't already on the bandwagon, uh, a decade ago, they definitely are on it right now. It's just so perplexing that a team with him and Trout really can't do anything right now. Yeah. Because I think what's going to prevent Shohei from winning those multiple uh, MVPs, as you talked about, is the status of, you know, the Angels being contenders. And that's true, but there's only one more year that he has to stay there before he moves further up the coast to the Los Angeles Dodgers. <laughs> <laughs> then that's what he's going to have to do, because I think if he stays on a team that's, you know, that's not a, a contender, uh, even though he has the skill set that warrants MVP, there's going to be a lot of writers out there saying, okay, you know what? Your team it, sucks. Exactly. And how can you be an MVP when you're playing this good and, and your team's not, and your team's not that good? That, that would be the only justification yeah. that, that, they, that could be used in that regard. So, gang, it's hard because it, sports are different. But in my mind, what Shohei is doing as a pitcher and as a hitter would be – comparable to somebody being the pro bowl quarterback and the pro bowl defensive back Mm -hmm. you know playing both sides at a pro bowl level or a a pro bowl wide receiver and a pro bowl safety that would be maybe the most we've had some people who have tried to play a little bit of both even rod woodson did but Dion, dion did to to some extent 
but not to this extent where they can be considered the best at both sides of the ball. True. It's uh, Shohei Otani is just remarkable. And it's not just hitting home runs. He steals bases. He walks. He hits for average. Um, he feels his position well. I mean, before you would want, you never want to face the, you never want to have your hitter come up to bat. When Shohei pitches, he hits first. He DHs and pitches, and he puts he hits first in the lineup. It's just remarkable. Okay, I got a question for you. Just just on this, would you pay him as his his worth as both as in totality as a separate pitcher and a separate hitter? I'm sure that that's what his agent, if he's using Scott Boros, which I don't think, because Scott Boros. Shohei Otani and the Japanese culture and Scott Boris doesn't seem to, to mold. But I'm sure whoever his agent is, is going to paint that possibility. Um, if you're asking the top paid pitcher, Max Scherzer is making 40 million. And then you have somebody like a Mookie or a Juan Soto that just turned down 15 years, $440 million this weekend. They make 40 million. So if, if we're saying, would I pay him 70 to $80 million a year for both? No, I would never do that because there's a risk that when you lose him, you lose two players. So if you're going to pay him like an offensive player and a pitcher, if something were to happen to him, you're losing two $40 million players. So I don't think he's going to get that. I do think he's going to get, he's going to be the first $50 million a year player, uh, in the major league, in major league history. But I think it's going to be on a shorter contract. Yeah. And that's the thing. These hitters are getting 13 year contracts. No pitcher is getting more than five years. So how do you value him? Is he good enough as a hitter that you're willing to go 10 years for him? Or are you really? more pursuing him as a pitcher and then you go five years 250 million it's going to be very interesting to see um where he lands he's already had tommy john surgery you know so you have to be careful with that but he's phenomenal i mean he's he's truly truly phenomenal and because he's not the best offensive player right now and not the top pitcher right now i think you lose the fact that he's doing both at a all-star level. Agreed. I mean, I mean, if you can even consider him at the top in the top ten at each position, which there's going to be arguments for, you know, uh, any contract that he gets shy of seventy million is going to be a bargain for the team that's able to sign. If him. he stays healthy too, and, and the marketing dollars associated with him, I mean, oh, you definitely. have all of Japan as you alluded to. Yeah. So, I, I, the Dodgers have two years to find a way to fit him in their in their salary structure. <laughs> I mean, it's that's just the way it's going to be. All right, anything else, Ernie? You want to cover this week? I'm good. All right, gang. So that ends our mid July edition. We've got one more edition next week before we get into the NFL. We'll see what happens. This week, we'll cover whatever comes up over this week or whatever you guys want to hear. Again, if there's something you want us to talk about, maybe a sport that we're not covering right now, hit us up. Sports Rivals Podcast on IG and Facebook, Sports Rivals Pod on Twitter. But until next week, the Sports Rivals are out. Thank you for joining us on the Sports Rivals Podcast. Check us out on social media at Sports Rivals Podcasts on Instagram and at Sports Rivals Pod on Twitter, where you can share topics you'd like to hear. Music